God, we are grateful that you have provided this day, for it is your day. It is a day to worship you, as is every day. But today is especially anointed that we would come together and celebrate you and the work of the destruction and rebuilding of the temple in three days, Lord. I pray that today and this service, this Sunday school service, will be a time of learning how to walk more in accordance with what you command to become more like Christ and that we might um, exemplify your sovereignty in the way we behave, think, and uh, in what we do. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so last week, uh, my dad taught on the doctrine of God's sovereignty, and uh, I've grown up in a Reformed Baptist church my whole life. God's sovereignty is, feels like a very fundamental thing I've heard. The word sovereignty is used a lot. Um, understand the doctrine. Um, and I even have been arrogant enough to think, okay, yeah, I've never, I don't remember a situation where something terrible happened and I thought, you know, why God, you know, is the world out of control or things like that. I just, I don't remember thinking that. And yet the reality is, uh, as we'll see as we go through this, uh, my lack of faithfulness and my a lack of application of the theology happens all the time. And so our goal today is to look at what does sovereignty lived out look like? Uh, theology is meant to be more than just knowledge. It is meant to be lived out. Um, it's more than just books and, and things to say in a systematic order, but instead it's something that we should be living out to the glory of God um, and the truths of God lived out. So um, our, first, our first point in this uh, everyday living of God's sovereignty is that we should question how we interpret the world. So how do we interpret the world? So if we all know God is sovereign, and you know, if I were to ask the question, who here thinks God's sovereign, everyone would raise their hands and, and we would all agree on that statement. Um, would our actions, would our actions and our heart and our emotions display that? So we're going to look at an example here. We're going to go. We're going to do a bit of an activity together, and um, as we go through this, we're going to kind of come back a couple of times to this activity. And this is kind of a. It was a good litmus test in the book um, for me to realize. Oops, there's a lot of things in here that I'm I'm messing up as far as um, my response to God's sovereignty. So typically, when we start to feel fear and anxiety and stress. It's because things are out of our control. We want things in our, under our control. I want my children to behave a certain way. I want my work to go a certain way. I want you know, my finances to go a certain way, my marriage, all of the above. I want it to go a certain way, and I want control of it. And when things are out of your control, that's when uh, stress level starts to come up, right? And there's this belief, or we will inherently believe, that if things are out of my control, things are out of control. And that's just not true, right? That's not true. God is in control of all things. We covered that last week. But we're going to see this played out a little bit. So what we have here is uh, we have two circles. Uh, the, gray, the circle around the outside says concern, and the circle on the inside says responsibility. We're going to fill this out. I'm going to throw my example up there, but then we're going to turn it over to you all to see if you have any examples you'd like to throw up um, for us to talk about. But the idea here is that what would go in the responsibility category is what is our responsibility, our duty, our calling, what are we supposed to do? 
And then concern are things that are legitimate concerns for us, and yet it falls outside of our responsibility. So um, we, I don't have the ability to have the mic with me while I'm over there, so I'm gonna say what I have to say and then write it up. Start thinking of an example maybe for something that applies to you or an area where this is a struggle for you. But for me, uh, my responsibility would be to train my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Their salvation is an area of concern, but completely outside of my responsibility circle, right? So training them, obeying God's commands and evangelizing my children, discipling them, teaching them, that is absolutely within my control and responsibility, expectation from God. And yet I have, I have zero say over, over their salvation. So think of for yourself, I'd love to get some examples of things in which you can think of this is my responsibility, but what is a challenge or perhaps a struggle for you in terms of thinking sphere of control? Sean? Uh, and I think we, so we do have a mic. Uh, basically, I think we're, we should be good for as far as the mics goes. We might be a little bit tough on the outer regions. Yeah. We're hopefully going to have a fix soon. So, How about wise management of money falling under responsibility but becoming wealthy or becoming even more uh, conservative than that, becoming financially secure as an area of concern? I would say our health would be um, part of our responsibility as far as, you know, we can't eat ding-dongs all day long, but we need to, like, eat fruits and vegetables and things like that. Um, but if we you know, get a horrible disease, that is a concern. Okay, I could, I could start adding my whole list here. I mean, uh, uh, for us as a church, it might be, uh, what's our responsibility? It's to assemble uh, as a congregation and worship God. What's, out, what's in the area of concern is having a church building, right? Um, it, it might even be, um, it's my responsibility to tithe, but for our church to be financially successful is an area of concern or to be able to afford the things that we as a church want to fund, whether it's missions and other things. Um, I know in my life how I treat my wife is my responsibility, and yet the overall circumstances of our marriage and our life is an area of concern. So there's, there's just lots of these things that you could fall in this category, and where um, sin starts to happen is when these circles start changing size. In particular, the circle in the middle starts changing size. So to start with, the things in the inner circle, it's our responsibility to know. We need to know what is our responsibility, what is our concern. What am I supposed to do as a husband, as a father? What am I supposed to do as a believer of Christ? What is my responsibility? If I am not teaching my children and training them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, I am failing my responsibility. But at the same time, I need to know where my, what my responsibilities are so I know where the limits on my responsibilities are. Um, so uh, when we tend to start to feel fear and anxiety and stress is when things that are in our concern circle, we think they should be in the responsibility circle, right? So the moment, you know, Sean brought up financial security, right? I'm, I'm a husband, I'm a father, we don't have financial security, and you know that's on me. That's there's this feeling, maybe perhaps of shame, anxiety, fear over tomorrow. But the reality is, your responsibility to be a wise financial steward, um, to be able to work hard and work as unto the Lord, 
that is within your responsibility and perhaps was done. So when we start to feel a lot of anxiety and fear is when our circle starts to expand to things out of our control, but we are convinced they're supposed to be within our control. So how do we respond when there are things in that concern circle that aren't in our control? We, we desire to have control, but our responsibility or, our, or how we should respond should be that praise of the Lord that the things that are outside of our control or outside of our responsibility circle are outside of our responsibility circle, right? So I do not want to be the one responsible for my children's salvation. I, would, I will do it wrong, right? Praise the Lord, it's God and the Holy Spirit that will do this, um, will, will be responsible for the, my children's salvation. So how we respond to things outside of our circle matters, um, but naturally... This is going to create some tensions in both uh, our pride as well as, um, as well as the anxiety and fear we've talked about so far. So um, we're going to pause on the circle for a second. Um, I'm going to have whoever has the mic read James 4, 13 through 15 here. But um, our second point here is that belief, if you're truly believing that God is sovereign over all things, all the time, everywhere, then um, it should result in humility Enjoy the natural outcry or, or outcome of that should be inner humility and joy. Uh, whoever has the mic, if you'd read James four thirteen through fifteen. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So in this case, uh, as soon as you start to make plans and say this is what's going to happen and that sense of control and ownership of my destiny, all of those things, uh, what came with it? What, what came with it afterwards? What was there in that, that last verse? Well, obviously, the rebuke. Yeah, true. Uh, but pride boasting, right? Like it, you, you end up boasting. It says you end up boasting. And so the reality is when you start to feel that things are in the circle of concern, are in your area of responsibility, when things aren't going well, perhaps that's fear, anxiety, um, you're, you aren't uh, a lack of dependence on God um, uh, or belief that you're dependent on God, but when things are going well and you've moved things that are in the outer area of concern into your responsibility circle, it creates being puffed up, uh, conf- uh, arrogance, pride. So uh, I work as unto the Lord. Whether or not I get recognized at work and promoted and those things, as soon as I start to think, well, that's all on me. That's 100% my ownership. I did that. I'm wealthy because I did this, or um, our health is good because, you know, I'm, I manage my fitness, and this is an area of pride because um, that's the reason I haven't gotten, you name the disease that really is not my ability to control or not my responsibility to do something about. So as soon as we start to bring things from the outer circle in, if things are going well, we will have pride, we will have arrogance. And, and who are we, what are we doing when we do that? We're, we're robbing God of the glory that's due him, right? The, the success we have as a church is not because of the success of a pastor or a preacher, or it's not that. The responsibility for this church is to faithfully teach the word and shepherd the people of this church. 
the area of concern. Do we care that we have health and growth and a building and all of these things? Absolutely. But those are things we praise God for. We give God glory. We give God the glory for even giving us the faculties to be able to preach and shepherd and teach. So, um, so the, I, so in terms of being humbling and joy, so starting with the humbling side, if we have an appropriate understanding of the doctrine of God's sovereignty, it should be naturally humbling. Our circle of responsibility is important but small. The area of concern is large. And when things go well outside of that circle, it should be humbling. It should bring us to understanding that God is doing all of this for us. Okay, I, uh, uh, I believe that, the, um, that Paul Tripp uh, does a great job in describing the joy that it should produce. I'm going to read you, to you an excerpt um, from page 145 of the book. Oh, yeah, comment. Uh, something I was thinking about when you were, when you were talking about this difference between responsibility and concern as well is even in examples in the Old Testament where the concern has already been, the out, in other words, the outcome has already been declared early on. So you look at Jacob and the future, uh, you know, that God has chosen him for a future, or you look at Abraham and the fact that he's going to have a child, and that they realize not only that their responsibility, they've already been told the outcome, and then when they take the timing of those matters into their own hands and how it turns into a manipulation and a manufacturing of the outcome that's already been promised by a sovereign God and, 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 and wanting to take that back to that desire of wanting to take control, even when the concern isn't unknown, it's actually known, but I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. I immediately think of Saul not having the patience for Samuel to come. And so he offers sacrifice because he wants to win the battle and have control of uh, now's the time that I should win this battle. And yeah, absolutely. All right. Um, so along with humility, along with humility, um, it should produce joy. Uh, this is what, uh, Paul Tripp has to say in his book. The truth of the sovereignty of God should also produce in us a joy that simply cannot be shaken. Few things produce greater comfort and joy than knowing that your world is not a place of impersonal chance and chaos, but is under careful rule, and the one who rules is your Father by grace. Wherever you go, your Father rules. Whatever you face in your life, your Father rules. When you pray, your Father who rules also hears. In amazing grace, he unleashes his power and authority for your good. If this doesn't produce joy in you, it's hard to imagine what would. In addition to humility and joy, we have to acknowledge, though, that mystery and confusion will remain. By the grace of God, he has revealed, he has pulled back the curtain on certain things areas of concern. We, we understand, so my children's salvation, I can have understanding on the, how salvation works, who is ministering salvation, right? But um, it doesn't always mean that it will be clear or obvious or certain um, for anything. Uh, there are things that just will be a mystery and, and never explained to us. And when we tend to, um, when we tend to uh, blur or shorten that creature-creator line in terms of 
I should have the knowledge of the creator, think Adam and Eve, I should have the power, authority, or sovereignty for myself, is when we start to, we really start to see um, not just sin, but we see for us as Christians, in particular, the outcropping of the lack of faith in God as sovereign. We don't trust him fully as being sovereign when we are sinning through, shortening that creator-creature line. Uh, the, the idea of confusion, I think, um, is really easy to see in a parent and a child. There are things you tell your child no to, and they're just not old enough to understand why you said no to it. And you tell your child no, and they may ask why, and maybe you give an explanation for some things, but there are a lot of things you're just, I can't explain why, it's not, it's not in your best interest to know why. You as a parent lovingly just tell them no because the answer is no. And they're disappointed and they're upset um, and, uh, you know, go, to down, go down the hall and, and go to their room or do whatever it is. But there's an understanding that you as a parent not only have the authority, but there's still also a comfort for that child that you know things and are in, you know, perceived control of the situation by the child. Um, so I'm going to read another, uh, one more excerpt here from um, Trip. Page 148. God answers our desire to know and understand, not by giving answers, but by giving us himself. He reveals to us his existence, his rule, his wisdom, his faithfulness, and his love, so that we can experience peace and rest of heart, even as we are faced with painful mysteries. And the more you come to know him and understand the character of his loving care, the deeper your rest becomes. My children don't know why that the answer is to something, right? Like there's just an inherent deep trust of dad, daddy always has control of the situation. That is the belief by the child. And the reality is it, so there's some truth. A lot of my children's world I have con- control over or I'm in authority over, but the far greater authority and more perfect authority is God over, not over my children's life, but over our life. And so the same comfort my son has when I say it's going to be okay, which God tells us over and over in scripture that he's working things for our good. And we're going to look at that passage here in a moment that we should have the greatest and deepest comfort, like a child who is trusting their parents and who has faith in their parents. Okay, so in addition to not having, um, not always getting answers and there being mystery and uncertainty, God's control, so his control of not just situations, but all things all the time, is not always obvious. It's not always obvious. Um, And I would say, I think this has been the case for the world um, for essentially all time, that we've, even though we know things, so to my dad's point, um, even though we know the outcome, things we show our faithful, faithlessness in the sovereignty of God. Think of the Hebrews in, e- in Egypt as slaves, right? They're calling out, they are not trusting their, that God is going to control the situation, that there is a God overseeing their situation, right? So God sends Moses and has to remind them of his control over all things, whether that's nature and um, the, ver- the various plagues that Pastor Nix preached us through. When wicked kings are in power, right, the Israel had to experience wicked kings who are doing awful, terrible things. Is God really in control in this situation? When we as Christians are upset because of a certain politician being elected and it just, it affects us emotionally to a level of 
wondering like, man, the world's just getting out of control. Like it's just, it's out of control. It, it isn't, it isn't. So we see this over and over. Uh, whoever has the mic, if you wouldn't mind turning to Hebrews 2, 8 through 9. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Amen. In there, it says we, we don't have control or knowledge of these things, but we do have him. We have Christ. So the response to this is that even though things might not seem under control, even though there are mysteries that are not revealed to us, what we do have is Christ. We have Christ. That is the comfort we need. That is the reminder we need of the sovereignty of God is Christ. So we're going to look at, I think, what, what uh, he put as, and I completely agree, one of the um, most misused scriptures, definitely on, on um, like, I'm thinking of, uh, like, Hallmark cards and things like that. But let's turn to Romans 8.28. And whoever has the mic next, I'm going to have you read uh, Romans 8.28 and then stay there because we're going to do a little more reading um, in that passage. But uh, I think we've all, you, you know, paraphrased this verse or quoted this verse at various times um, to, to comfort folks. Um, and um, I think... Often, it can be very misguided in which, the way in which we approach uh, this, this particular passage. Romans 8, 28. Okay. And just to be clear, you do want me to stop after 28, That's correct? correct. Yes, yes. Okay. We're going to do a bad job, then we're going to do a good job. All right. Uh, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So, um, how, how do we see this misused? How has, has anyone seen an example of how this is misused or kind of tossed out there for people? Everything happens for a reason. My dad says, yep, yep. Anyone else want to? Cindy? Oh, sorry, Glenda. Does it work? Yes. I think we tend to cut off the last part of it according to his purpose. And it's like, oh, you know, everything's going to work out. But we forget that it says according to his purposes. And so sometimes God says no. And we usually don't like that very much. (laughs) I think it ties in with that verse where two or three are gathered in my name. Ask whatever you will and it will be done. Again, we're talking about according to his purposes, not just give him your list and, you know, you're going to get whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know I've certainly seen this used as in, uh, like, uh, in the end, it'll all work out for whatever the thing is, right? Like, that it's, it's going to, we're going to get to the end and um, uh, it's, it's all going to work out. It's for your good. Somehow this is for your good. And there is truth but the intention of the person saying that, I think, is often wrong, which is, you know, uh, at the end of this particular trial is perhaps not the outcome that you think is the good 
right? So uh, if you wouldn't mind getting the mic back to Sean, he's going to read for us again uh, 28. But this time, we're going to go all the way through 30. All right. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And keep going, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I didn't listen. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So, what is the good? What is the good of verse 28? What is the good that um, all things are working together for good? What is the good? Based on verses 29 and 30. What? Yeah, absolutely. Glenda's got a hand behind you, Sean. If you wouldn't mind. To be conformed to the image of his son. And so the question is, what does that look like? It's not worldly good. Absolutely. Suffering. So the idea of the Hallmark card, Romans 8.28, saying, you know, it's all going to work out for good. There's truth. It is scripture. Those are true words. But the good that is being worked out is that we will be conformed to Christ. We will be glorified right? That we, through all of this process that God in control, all these steps of sovereign control, right? It's a greater good than any earthly good. The person is sick. You can't, we can't confidently say the sickness is going away on earth. And yet we know it's for their good because ultimately God is working things together so that we may be unified with him in heaven. So the good, uh, if we misapply uh, Romans 8, 28, if that's what we tend to think when we think of God and sovereignty, again, we might be looking at a limited scope. And we've seen this in various ways, whether it's justice, whether it's you name the thing that we feel is wrong with this world, we expect our timeline and our form of punishment or our form of healing or success, whatever that might be. But the reality is God's purposes are his own and some things he's chosen to reveal and some things he hasn't. But the things he has chosen to reveal are the perfect things for us to know and trust in and not to need more. We have sufficient knowledge of the things we need. And going back to our James passage, or our, excuse me, our Hebrews passage, what we have is Christ. That is the knowledge we need. So we, we had humility. So out of this, we can see that we're, if you have a poor understanding of the doctrine, if you have a poor faith in the doctrine of sovereignty, the outworking of that can be pride and taking um, credit for things that are, are due to God. Uh, it can be the other side. It can be anxiety and fear and mistrust of God's control because things that are outside of your control you believe should be or that they are yours to control. But also we've seen on the positive side that if we as Christians truly understand and are acting out God's sovereignty, that doctrine, we should have humility and joy and peace. We should have understanding that God is in control even if he's not revealing things to us and that there are things he will never reveal to us. So the, the last point I want to make here before hopefully we have some time for some uh, open discussion is uh, to talk about prayer. So I think this, this topic comes up a lot when you start getting down Oh, you Calvinists, uh, why are we supposed to pray? If God's in control of all things all the time, he predestined things, why are we to pray? Um, so I'm going to turn it over to you Calvinists. Anyone want to 
give an answer first as to why we should pray? Oh, Rob Roy. Well, it's been noted, and I believe it's true, that when you listen to our fellow brothers and sisters who are, are Arminians, they pray Calvinistically. They pray that God's will would be done and that loved ones would be saved by God's power, right? And so I think the way the question sets up, if everything's already be, been predetermined, if God is sovereign, then why would we pray? And that's actually why we do pray, because God is sovereign. And part of his sovereign plan is not only that what he has ordained would come to pass, but part of what he's ordained is the prayers to be prayed that bring about the things that are ordained to come to pass. Absolutely. And he'll make sure that those prayers get prayed. You know, we're in Romans 8.28, just a few verses before that, is about how we can't pray aright, and that the Spirit intercedes. So not only does God ordain that the prayers be prayed so that what he's ordained will come to pass, of which that includes that those prayers get prayed, but he intercedes so that those prayers get prayed the right way. That's how sovereign our God is. Amen. I would much rather have God interceding for my prayers <laughs> than my prayers be in my control circle. And I would say absolutely. When um, So the, the kind of cheeky phrase or whatever that I have to the point you were saying, Rob Roy, is that God is not just a God of the ends. He's also a God of the means. The means of prayer is part of those means. And I think additionally, an extra element when we think about sovereignty in particular is what is prayer doing to our hearts? What should it be doing to our hearts when we pray? It's putting us in a position where we are down on our knees asking God for things out of our control, for glorifying a God who controls all things, confessing to a God who is greater than all the things we've done. And so there is a natural repositioning of us versus God. And I can't think of a better example than the Lord's Prayer. You're going to him for the daily needs, right? It is the will of the Father. You are, you are acknowledging that it is God's will that is to be done on earth. So um, there is a there is absolutely a ordination of how that we are to do it because we are to obey, and this is how God uses prayer. God uses prayer how he chooses to bring about his sovereign will, but there's also a, re, um, a repositioning element for our hearts and the benefit for our hearts and understanding God's sovereignty just by going to him in prayer. You don't pray to someone who is not in control. Rob Roy? PJ, it occurred to me... Uh it just came to me, there's an example in Scripture of what we're talking about happening with King David in Second Samuel 7. So God reveals to David what is going to happen. And David believes, all right, this is what's going to happen. I've been told this is what's going to happen. And what does David do? He prays. He says, therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. So in 2 Samuel, he's repeating back that he not only believes, well, he's in his prayer, he's repeating back what God has told him, showing that he believes it and saying, because you've told me it's for sure, I actually have the courage, because your will has been revealed, to pray according to your will. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Love that. Great example. Uh, 
I thought, Brandon, were you just doing a stretch or were you doing like this, like, oh, and now I'm getting a head shake. <laughs> Still not committal for me. But. Yeah, I was just going to, I think you kind of just summed it up, but I was going to say, like, God uses prayer to orient our hearts to submit to the means and outcomes that he sovereignly is in control of. Absolutely. And I, uh, uh, I cannot agree more with that. And, um, and when you look at the Psalms, um, I know I, you can't help but in all of these Psalms see where David is over and over, the psalmist is reorienting them to talk about the sovereignty of God in the psalm and whether it's a lament or whether it's a praise. Absolutely. Um, uh, uh, prayer, it, it, prayer uh, comforts us. It reminds us of, of, of the glory of God, the sovereignty of God. Um, and I think there's a particular hymn I would love for us to turn to. So if you have a red hymnal, Mark does not as of right now because I stole his, but everyone else who has a red hymnal, I'm going to read through um, hymn 231. Think through the words. Think through what it means. See if you truly agree and believe with, believe what we've sang here as a church many times. Hymn number 231 in the red hymnal. What e'er my God ordains is right. His holy will abideth. I will be still whatever he doth and follow wherever he guideth. He is my God. Though dark my road, he holds me that I shall not fall, wherefore to him I leave it all. Whate'er my God ordains is right, he never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path, I know he will not leave me. I take content what he hath sent, his hand can turn my griefs away, and patiently I wait his day. Whate'er my God ordains is right, Though now the cup in drinking may, drinking may bitter seem to my faint heart, I take, it, I take it all unshrinking. My God is true. Each morn anew, sweet comfort yet shall fill my heart, and pain and sorrow shall depart. Whate'er my God ordains is right. Here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet am I not forsaken." For my Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall, and so to him I leave it all. All right. We've got five minutes. Let's open it up. Any, any thoughts, comments on the, on the topic of God's sovereignty or God's sovereignty and how it, might, how it applies or works out in your life? Everyday living of God's sovereignty. I think you were getting at it right from the very beginning, but, you know, by looking at this correctly, man, how peaceful is this? It's just, it's not my, it's not my, it's my concern, but it's not my responsibility. It's just not. Even on the most, uh, uh, the weightiest subjects of all, so like the very first one you said, the salvation of your own children, I mean, I'm not sure there's much in this world that weighs more on the Christian's heart than the concern over the salvation of their own children, and yet um, when we're faithful with our responsibilities and we're able to keep this in the right uh, view, we can take comfort in knowing that God is, is at the wheel and 
It's not our concern. We don't have to manage the outcome. Yeah, praise the Lord. We have Gary and then we have Gerald. To piggyback a little bit on uh, the last, let me send you school lessons we were uh, being taught in the, in the face of the wokeness, okay, it is God's sovereignty that is the glue that should hold us together as, as believers, that he's in control of the, of the whole deal. I don't know how it's going to end other than I'm going to heaven, and that's all I need to know. Amen. As we were as we were talking, I was just reminded um, that you know God is sovereign, and yet He's very personal with each of us. You know, um, I was drawn to First Peter five, where it talks about casting all your cares on Him, and there's a whole litany of things in that passage about humility and about who God is and and His purposes for us, and and it was just I don't know. I guess I was just thinking too that in the midst of our you know, turmoil sometimes, at least in our minds, you know, God is there right, right with us. He, he enters into our, you know, how he does that, I don't know, but he, he somehow he's able to enter into what we're dealing with. And, and I mean, that's how gracious and how caring he is for us. So. Absolutely. And the outer circle is not, it's not like outer circles, God's domain, inner circles, only our domain, even in the inner circle where we are responsible even then, God is being personal with us, and we could not do the inner circle without the one who's controlling the outer circle as well. Uh, so I think we have Sean, and then we had Rob Roy. Um, some of us, I'm sure, are already thinking on this line, but I just want to point out how gloriously contrasting this doctrine and these truths are to the wisdom of our age and the wisdom of the world around us. Um, the wisdom that we're surrounded by every day. Um, so it just, you know, it just makes it that more urgent that we think on these things often. Um, wow. I mean, if I was to fully absorb what, you just, what we just taught today, my life would be radically different than it is. That's all I have to say. Praise God. <laughs> PJ, I wanted to point out, you know, it's worth also considering that the circle outside these two circles, there's some things that aren't our concern. So there's responsibility, there's concern, there's things that it's just none of your concern. (laughs) And I'm thinking of how John ends where Peter's like, well, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You know, paraphrase, it's none of your concern. Yeah. So there's some things that aren't even our concern, Absolutely. let alone our responsibility. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. Um, this is, uh, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that for all of us that we are able to stop in the moment and not just think when we think sovereignty, think about just um, salvation, God being over salvation, or just having a general plan, but in the moments of our everyday life, which was the purpose of this chapter in how we live out this theology, that when you notice yourself becoming uh, stressed or anxious about things, or stop, figure out why, why are you being anxious, and then take it to the Lord in prayer. On the things in which you go, perhaps 
I, I can tell you I've, I've had it happen for me at work before. People see a picture of my family, all of us together for a normal get together. That's just kind of a normal thing for us. And all of us are smiling in a photo and coworkers are like, wow, why does your family like each other that much? Or, you know, that kind of thing. You get together that often, our family. And you're like, you know, you take a sense of pride of like, we have control that God has chosen for so many of us to be saved. That's not mine to be proud of, that it's not mine. So in the moments of pride, in the moments of anxiety and stress, stop, consider why you might be feeling those things and to who belongs all the control of those things that take it to him in prayer. All right, let's take our service today in prayer and um, turn our church service over to the sovereign God. Praise you, Lord, for you are sovereign over all things. You rule, you control You have not just knowledge, but you have control, Lord. And thank you for not just being a God of the ends, but gods of the means, Lord. And you have given us responsibility as part of these means, Lord. Today, we pray that we will turn this service over to you, that we will turn our week and lives over to you, that we will turn all of our cares and um, let let just the, the responsibilities that do not belong to us, but belong to you, not be a source of pride or be a source of anxiety, Lord, but to be a source of a a subject for prayer, that they might be turned over to you. May you be glorified in every aspect of today's service, and may your glory be shouted in our hymns. May it be um, rejoiced and and shown gratitude in our tithing. Uh, May our our sin and our feebleness uh, be appropriately confessed so that we can um, tune our hearts to you, Lord. May you be glorified in all things. In your son's name we pray. Amen.